All right, before we start today, I got to give a shout out to our newest sponsor, which is VetCS. And if you're not familiar with VetCS, they are a CBD oil company or a CBD product company um, that specializes in um, CBD uh, products for animals. And uh, they were founded by a veterinarian and certified veterinarian technician. Um, they're out of Colorado and uh, they provide, you know, super uh, scientifically sound and researched and uh transparently sourced Colorado hemp and CBD products for dogs, cats, and horses. One of the only products out there for horses that there is. So you need to check them out. Um, they donate 5% of all their profits to rescue groups and uh, support animal health. And uh, well, rescue groups that support animal health and well-being. And if you use the promo code big truth at checkout, you get 10% off your, all your orders there. Uh, so check them out at vetcs.com um, on IG uh, at Instagram, it's just at vet underscore CS. And uh, Facebook, it's just vet CS, V-E-T-C-S. Um, but yeah, check them out. Uh, they're in Colorado. Really good stuff, like high, high, high quality, high standards. Um, I just got some of their oil for Grimm, my uh, German Shepherd. He's having some neuropathy issues in his rear end uh, with his uh, hindquarters, two legs in the back. And um, and I got the peanut butter treats for Freya because she's a she's a skittish she's a little skittish and it's uh just started them on that and it seems to be helping already just in a just in a four days five days it's already uh seems like it's uh really already kicking in so check them out and if you're interested in supporting this show um, and you're a listener please check out the Patreon which is uh Patreon.com/slash/BigTruth that's a way for you to financially support the show uh. Shout out to all my uh, Patreon members and subscribers. Um, you guys really keep this show going and growing. Uh, there's four different tiers of membership there, um, and they all have their own so, uh, exclusive benefits and, and uh, you know, privileges and whatnot. We give people access to the, to the new episodes early uh, as much as I can. This is basically a one-man operation, so um, I'm doing this in between running two businesses and uh, – going gray really fast because I'm stressed out all the time. So, but, uh, you guys really help make it easier. So shout out to all the Patreon subscribers. Uh, my boy Diggy came in on Saturday to the shop. He's one of our Patreon subscribers. He didn't even introduce himself. He was, he was flying undercover secret shopper style just to see if I would treat him correct, I guess. No, I'm just playing, but man, you know, I've had a few people come out and it, it's been awesome. Uh, it's great to meet you guys. Um, so, you know, you're welcome anytime. If, now we went over we went over um, CBD oil for your pets. If you need some for yourself, I've been using Cradle Lake Clear CBD oils for myself, and they are another top of the line organic, you know, you know, uh, transparently sourced material uh, so CBD oil company. There's there's so much CBD out there now, and there's so much garbage. Like I will only support companies that are top of the line and uh, are no bullshit. So you need to check them out. And, you know, I take their CBD oil pretty much every night and it helps me sleep like a, like a little child, like a little child nestled in a, in a, I don't know, whatever you call it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't write any of this shit down. I just make it up as I go. So sometimes I stumble and fall. I, I'm on a couple hours sleep and, uh, you know, so there, but you need to check them out. CradleLakeClear.com, best, uh, human CBD oil in the game. Um, and, uh. They uh, use the promo code Big Truth there. You get twenty percent off your order. So really check it out. Um, 
if you are looking for motorcycle parts or apparel or whatnot, you need to check out Old Bike Barn at oldbikebarn.com. They are a uh, mainstay in the motorcycle industry, um, and they got a lot of uh, rare, like a hard-to-find parts for your old Japanese bikes that a lot of people don't carry. Uh, they got their own line of leather and uh, uh, leather apparel and um, riding gear and uh, knives under the White Knuckler brand where everything is made in the U.S. Um, so really check them out, old oldbikebarn.com. Good people uh, and, you know, really an asset to the industry and to the uh, motorcycling community. If you happen to be in the unfortunate situation where you find yourself in a motorcycle accident, um, you need to check out Law Tigers over at lawtigers.com or go to Facebook and type in Law Tigers in your state so you can get in touch with the uh, local regional office there. Um, they are a motorcycle uh, accident, you know, an injury law firm that was founded by riders for riders. So uh, check them out and support. Uh, my brothers have a clothing company called Amerta. And if you haven't heard of it by now, you need to really get over to amertamia.com and check it out. They have um, all kinds of clothing there. Top of the line, uh, real deal, as real as it gets, a uh, streetwear brand. If you've seen the Stop Glorifying Rats shirt or uh, Intimidate All Witnesses, that's my favorite one. Um, they got all kinds of gear, whether you need a T-shirt, a hoodie, uh, scarf, socks, whatever. Um, they got limited edition art prints and whatnot. Uh, so check them out, Omerta, O-M-E-R-T-A, uh, and their website is amertamia, O-M-E-R-T-A-M-I-A.com. Use the promo code BIGTRUTH at checkout there, and you get 20% off your order over there. So don't sleep. Um, they always got all kinds of exclusive shit going on with collabos with bands like Murphy's Law and um, the uh, business. They've done all kinds of shit, so you need to really check them out, amertamia.com. And if you're looking for more clothing and uh, you're on the darker side of things, you're into weird shit like serial killers or the occult or, or just... Uh, you know, cults in general, um, psychedelic drugs, fucking antisocial behavior, street weaponry. Um, but you also like choppers and uh, show vans, like 70s uh, boogie vans and stuff and custom bikes and stuff. Then you will really check, you will really uh, dig my man Zach Doom's uh, clothing company called uh, Heavy. And you can find them at heavy.bigcartel.com and on, on Instagram at Heavy Clothing. Uh, we're going to be vending with them over at Mama Tried this weekend. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, we, we're, uh, my man Bobby Good Times from Chicago will be there too. Uh, well, he's actually from Jersey, but been living in Chicago for a long time now. So, uh, you know, make sure you come hang out with us at the booths uh, this weekend coming up at Mama Tried. Um, and uh, what else we got here? Chop Cult, while we're talking about motorcycles, Chop Cult is the biggest motorcycle information clearinghouse and message board that there is out there. Um, go to chopcult.com. Everything's broken up by topic, uh, so you can find all kinds of information there. And also, they have a uh, online swap meet where you can buy, sell, and trade parts. They got an online store where they carry their own gear and uh, and gear from like selected uh, vendors and partners. Um, they have and parts and stuff. Um, they have an online. Um, calendar of events where you can find out about motorcycle related events all across the world um and uh so much more information check them out at chopcult.com and on all the social media simply at chopcult pitchfork pitchforkny.com clothing company and record label run by brothers of mine make sure you check that out mainstay in the punk hardcore and metal community for well over a decade pitchforkny.com and uh if you are looking um spring is coming up 
and uh, some of you may know, but I got a full service motorcycle shop here. It's a brick and mortar store. Uh, you can come in. We do everything from oil changes to a full custom chopper build. We uh, do motor rebuilds. We do everything. So you need to uh, check it out. If you are in the Northeast, come by 13 County Road, East Freetown, Massachusetts. We got an online store, uh, chopahead.com. Uh, we got a parts counter here, uh, a showroom here where you can try on helmets. You don't have to guess on your size and shit. Like uh, we carry Bell, Biltwell, uh, Simpson helmets, you know, all kinds of shit. And we've got access to so much more. If there's anything you need, uh, we can get it or we have it or we make it. So um, you know, I'm going to be the first to admit my online store isn't the most complete or thorough that there can be. But just give us a call if there's something you're looking for. Um, and last but not least, and that's just at chopahead.com on Instagram at chopahead, C-H-O-P-P-A-H-E-A-D. And uh, Facebook, it's chopahead customs, custom spelt with a K. Um, and last but not least, Big Truth Podcast, uh, if you want, uh, .com, if you want to check out more information about the show. And I'm not going to keep running on anymore. We're going to jump into it right now. Yes, once again, we have liftoff. I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Big Truth Podcast. And before I announce my guest today, I just got to make a special announcement. We're going to be doing the first ever uh, live edition of this podcast. Um, Going on this weekend, Saturday, March 5th, uh, we're going to be doing this live at the Mama Tried Show in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. So I know a lot of people will be at that show. So make sure on Saturday at the Rave Club around noon, we're going to be doing a, a live broadcast of the show. Zach from Heavy and a bunch of Scott from uh, Fuel and Mama Tried will be there. Uh, we'll get a bunch of special guests on there. So uh, make sure if you're at the show to come by and hang out. Um, and uh, we'll have more information about that on the website. Uh, but uh, without further ado, I got an episode today that I've been looking forward to for a while. I got the homie Mike Judge from the band's Judge. He was in uh, Death Before Dishonor, the old New York Death Before Dishonor, not the new Boston one. Uh, bands like Youth of Today and whatnot, a pillar in the New York hardcore community. Uh, so uh, I want to uh, formally welcome Mike to the show. Mike, what's happening, bro? What's going on, brother? Happy to talk to you, finally. Oh, yeah. No, I know. We've been playing this one for a while, and uh, good things come to all that weight, uh, all who wait. And I know you've been moving and handling all kinds of stuff, so I appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on today. Um, and uh, uh, stoked to have you here. Uh, so, you know, what's uh, I know you uh, recently moved to upstate uh, New York. Um, what's uh, What's been going on, man? What, was, uh, what have you been up to? Oh, nothing, man. Like, right before everything fucking shut down. I was at, I was like, uh, losing my job and shit at, back in Jersey. And then was going through all this shit with my apartment or condo. And, uh, then everything fell apart in the world. And, uh, I was just basically, um, you know, me and my wife just had no place to go. And then an old friend, Steve Reddy invited me up here in Albany and, uh, 
you know, hooked me up with a place to stay and shit and, and a job. So now we're up in Albany. Oh yeah. You liking and, uh, it so far? Yeah. Albany's a trip, man. Second period. It's weird up here. Like, uh, where I, where I live, the block I live on is like really nice and shit. Like right next to Albany med. So it's like, my block is like really nice, but then a block either way, people are shooting each other. It's like, just fucking crazy up yeah yeah it's like a, it's like a lot of uh you know that's kind of the par for the course with a lot of american cities like you can be on the nicest block and then like literally a two-minute walk you're in like total war zone that's how like providence <laughs> is and you know uh, boston used to be that way before it got fully gentrified now it's now you know but i think covid's like the great equalizer was a lot of that shit and a lot of you're seeing more street crime and everything coming back, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But uh, it is what it is. But Albany's cool because it's it's still one of, like, an affordable place to live that's, like, in a city, you know? It's, like, uh, yeah, it's cool. And, and there's a good uh, – there's still, like, a thriving scene out there, which is cool. Um, but uh, anything going on with, with uh, the band? I know you guys were going hard for a while. And then, you know, I know COVID – or uh, I don't. I even saying the word because you could get pulled off the air for for even doing that. They'll take me down yeah. on YouTube. But but before all the the shit that happened in the last couple of years, I you know everything kind of went for a halt. Do you guys got any plans coming up to to uh, get anything going again? I think in June we're gonna go out for a little while. But uh, other than that, no. You know, like our two of our guys are in uh, shelter in Utah today. Charlie's in Gorilla Biscuits. So yeah. kind of like, kind of like uh judge just waits its turn. I'm fine with it. Cause uh, you know, I like, I like where I'm at and uh, I like the people who are around here and shit. So yeah, it's all, it's all good. And plus there's a lot of bands who like need to go out sure. for a living, you know? So yeah, let yeah. them, uh, let them get their time. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's a lot harder to do a band when you're, when you're like, you know, nearing uh middle age than it is when you're like an 18 year old kid you know um oh yeah so many more it was even hard it was even hard back then man i mean that was kind of like part of the reason judge broke up in the first place is because i was getting to a point where i just couldn't keep losing jobs you know like yeah yeah all this shit was going on and then it's hard to fucking get a job and be like well i'm going to be gone for two months so yeah it just didn't work so i'd lose a job come home because it's not like we were making money on tour. So, yeah, you know, I'd lose a job, go on tour, come back, have to find a job, leave again. It's just, it got crazy. Yeah. There's not, there's not a lot of jobs you can have where you can say, all right, I'm going to need three weeks off here, two weeks off here, a month off here. Or especially back in the day when tours were a lot longer, a lot, like seems like now a yeah. lot of things are like more like a couple weeks, two, three weeks. But back in the day, it'd be a month or two, like, you know, and, uh, um, yeah. No, I get that for sure. That's that's the eternal struggle with a lot of people that uh bands. Plus, you know, New York and everywhere there's this the same stuff's going on. Like dudes are just in multiple bands. Like <laughs> and, and yeah. And so there's a lot of scheduling required for for a lot of things. Yeah. Um no doubt. What um what uh you know for for you know what I gotta say is this isn't blowing smoke, but like when I first, why I'm stoked to have you on is that there's very few records in life that put you put something on and you're like, holy fucking shit. Like, and um, I got the the judge, the seven inch 
I got it from Porcel, like when I ordered it um, from Schism, and it came in the mail when I was a kid, and put that on, and like lit, like literally, only like two or three records ever in my life have blown me away that fucking hard. You know what I mean? So, um, it, it it was it was like fucking mind, you know, like you know, life changing, man. You know, it's not, it, for lack of a better word, like it it uh, it, it like. I don't even know how to explain it. It was a fucking heavy record and a heavy influence in my life. Um, like, how did how did judge for people that might not be familiar? I know you've had other interviews where you've kind of explained some of this, but for some of the listenership here, because I I appeal to the the motorcycle crowd, the hardcore crowd, and 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 you know like different different things. And now there's a lot more overlap in the hardcore yeah. and in motorcycle scene than there was when when we were younger. Um, but like. T- you know how did how did that judge for seven inch come about and like you know like uh like i know you had prior to that been in youth of today and death before dishonor but judge just had a whole different vibe to it like a way more harder edge to it and uh way more abrasive than a lot of the other stuff like tell a little bit more about like the i mean yeah origins. basically it was basically i was in youth of today and, uh, you know, we toured a lot with Ethan today, yeah. especially that break down the walls tour was like, just seemed like it was never going to end. And, uh, it was a hard tour, man. I mean, there wasn't, there wasn't money and shit. And we were fucking, you know, our band was always breaking down. We were working in junkyards and shit to get the band fixed. It was a rough time. And we were catching a lot of shit for like the band was catching a lot of shit for their fucking message, which was a positive, like it was a positive thing. We're trying to do good. And uh, people coming down, I mean, it was just, it was making me fucking just crazy. It was yeah. making me nuts inside. And uh, I just remember having conversations with those guys, and they were like, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. You got to grin and bear it. And I was like, I just, I'm just not, well, I was just never brought up to grin and bear it. I just want to fucking smash these people. And uh, so one night, I was like sleeping in the van in a junkyard because someone had to watch the equipment. And I was just thinking, like, when I get back to New York, I'm going to fucking start my own fucking thing. I'm going to say my own fucking... I'm, I'm going to say how I feel. And so that's when it was born. the idea was born. And uh, then, you know, we do get back to New York, and I wound up quitting music today because I just didn't want to go through that anymore. And, uh, you know, Purcell, Purcell joins Alex doing schism, and, you know, they wanted a, I was telling Purcell, I, I wrote these lyrics and he was like, whoa, he said, it's fucking cool. And uh, they were like, maybe we could record something and, you know, put it out with the schism fanzine, something like that, like Project X kind of shit. Yeah. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to do it. So it was never meant to be a band. It was just me and Purcell recorded it. So I sang and played drums. He played bass and guitar. And it was just my, my all my ideas I wrote the music because I was living in Brooklyn at the time with herself so I just sat around all day and I guess it, just the music I was listening to that I grew up on that I loved not only was you know like this band Last Rich from Boston and yeah. SSD but I also loved like you know Black Sabbath Volume 4 was like like a bible to me and shit so I was I Hey, not 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 to cut you off. Um, your the the audio just got real light on your side. I don't know if uh, 
if the mic moved or something? Uh, I'm, just, I'm wearing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, no, now it's good. Yeah, yeah. It just got real faint for a little bit, but now, now you're back. I just saw, but oh, yeah. just an aside, real quick. I just saw uh, someone, uh, my my uh, friend of mine, Ben from that band, Drop Dead, like had a couple of uh, his uh, old uh, Last Right seven inches with the different cover variations for sale, and I, it's amazing to me how much old records are going for. Man, blew my mind. I was like, man, I wish I never treated yeah. that way, dude. Fuck, I could buy a I house. I could buy a house with my records right now, dude. It's fucking nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm even worse because I had all these sick records, but you know, I never thought twice about playing the fuck out of them and shit. And a lot of, a lot of them, I would put the, I would just play the record and cause I was trying to teach myself how to play drums at the time. So I'd put the record on and I'd play drums next to it and play it. To, <laughs> and you know, the needles bouncing around and the, all these records are screwed up. Yeah. And now all those records are worth so much. It's just like, shit, yeah, I had yeah. no fucking clue. I don't know. I, I, if I was a kid, if I knew that when I was a kid, I would have, I would have scrounged and saved an extra couple bucks and bought extra copies and just left them unplayed <laughs> in the back. Yeah. Who knew that hardcore records would have a better return on investment than most stocks. Fucking nuts. But, but For real. so I did. Sorry, man. I didn't mean to derail it, but like I just haven't talked about last rights with anyone in a while, and it's like this is the first time it's come up twice in two weeks. So it's, uh, twice in a week. So oh yeah, we laugh, you know. Um, when I when I fucking when I moved into the apartment with uh, Purcell and Alex Al Brown, yeah, yeah, it was in this apartment in Williamsburg back before Williamsburg was like nice and shit. Like yeah, it was yeah. crazy there, and uh, there the like Al Brown's record collection and Purcell's record collection were fucking incredible. And uh, I just remember out of all of it, they had, I forget which one had it, but it was, they had the last rights demo. And when I heard that, I was like, holy shit, this is like the fucking heaviest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that was it for me. Like SSD Get It Away, that last rights demo. I mean, I could live with those records forever. Yeah, and it's crazy how some records like that, like you said, are are kind of like altering to you and 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 stay with you. There's there's still a few records like that to this day. I can still listen to cover to cover like without skipping a song and and uh, have has the same feeling. And sometimes it's cool when you don't listen to one of those records for a couple of years and then you pick it back up and you get that lump in your throat and like stomach sinks and you get all fucking amped up. It's like. Uh, I I just love that, you know what I mean. But um, yeah, man, yeah. didn't mean to derail you. So you were talking about how uh, you um you were kind of hanging out at the house and uh, writing some of the music, listening to Sabbath and Last Rites and and whatnot. Yeah, and I wrote those songs, and Purcell dug it, so we recorded it, and then uh, you know Schism put it out, and. Uh, I don't know. People just really liked it. Yeah. And um, I just remember Purcell being like, you know, we're going to get a couple of guys and we're going to play the anthrax. And I was like, I wasn't ready for that because I didn't want to sing in front of a crowd, you know, because I like to hide behind a drum set. Yeah, yeah. You're used but, to being uh, up in the back of the stage. Now you're going to be uh, stage center. Yeah. But I really wanted to say the things I wanted to say, so force myself to do it yeah did you guys think it was going to take off like it did because it, it like that record hit and then it just went bang like it just resonated with with a lot of people really yeah fast. it got it got like it got like crazy quick and shit and then i was like 
I realized like I was like, I was kind of like, it kind of, at one point it felt like I wrote the soundtrack to like a violent fucking act and shit. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should have thought this out more. And, uh, I think I put more, more thought into my lyrics, realizing how important the words were. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I knew how important words were because some of those early records saved my life, you know? So I knew how important words were, but when I wrote that first judge seven inch, I was, I was fucking pissed. Yeah. I was pissed at the way music today was treated. And I was, I was pissed that it just felt like we weren't getting credit for like how hard we worked. Yeah. And, and we were getting stepped on by like matching rock and roll and shit. And it's just like, I just wanted the fucking, uh, it was basically like, I wanted all the shit that they were saying that we were about. I was going to start a band that was that. So now they could tell the difference. Yeah. You know, you say it's the good guys, judges, the bad guys. This is the difference. Yeah. 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 No. And that's, you know, and I remember those days, like it was a weird time because, you know, Youth of Today was one of the early kind of, for lack of a better word, like the, the positive, like whatever, youth crew stuff. Like, so you, we were coming out of a world that was more punk rock and kids were, you know, getting hammered, wearing spikes and fucking mohawks and stuff. And then Youth of Today comes out, like wearing like sports gear and shit, you know what I mean? And got shit on for it, even though that's like one of the, hard, like Break Down the Walls is one of the hardest fucking records, like, you know what I mean? To come out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. it seemed like, you know, people were getting caught up more in the imagery of it. And, and, uh, it was one of the hardest records, but one of the most positive records. So it was kind of like, I remember being a kid trying to explain it to my father. Cause he's like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, no, look at the words. And he's like, oh shit. That, you know what I mean? He was like stoked, you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, and it was, you know, it was weird because, you know, it was like one of the angriest records, but with one of the most positive messages. So it was, uh, but yeah, I remember all that. Like, I remember there was kind of a big divide with some of the old guard and, and the new kids coming in. And, uh, you know, it was a little divisive. And Maximum Rock and Roll just used to just shit on a lot of fucking East Coast shit. You know what I mean? No matter what, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, started, no they started with Agnostic Front in the 80s, early 80s, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. but, um, so, you know, that was always one of those zines that I never paid much mind. Like I, I'd buy every issue to like look at the record reviews and like look at ads and shit and try and find shit. Cause you, you know, back in the day it was like, that's how you found out about new shit. Like it, you know, and, and there wasn't an internet, but uh, I never really paid it the editorial stuff too much, too much of a mind because it never, never really hit with me, you know? Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so so yeah, I mean, what was interesting is like, yeah, you may judge the bad guys and like, and like Porcel and you were in both bands, you know what I mean? Like, so it was like, it, was it like, did it feel like, like the alter egos or just like the, the, the rage side came out with, with uh, judge? Uh, no, cause I always, it was always me. Yeah. Cause they were my words and usually if there was anger directed at the band is usually directed at me, you know? Purcell was always like, you know, yeah. Purcell's Teflon, man. Nothing, nothing sticks to him. So, if, if someone was mad, they were mad at me. Yeah. And uh, that's why those tours got fucking, sh you know, crazy at times. And uh, you know, one of the one of the thing, the best things that happened was, you know, I was like, 
I, you know, I, I needed someone to like come out and tour with me. So it just wouldn't be me standing up to like some of these people, Yeah, you know, like, because, you know, Sandy and Matt, they're like 14, 15. Yeah. They're just like little kids and shit. Yeah, yeah. So I was feeling like kind of like vulnerable. So wound up, that's how I met him, you know, who turned out to be like my best friend until the day he died uh, was Todd, this kid, Todd. I went to school with him, but I was never friends with him. And shit, he was like this surfer jock type guy. And I was like this outcast punk rock guy. We just never got along. Not that we ever had words. That we were just like in two different circles and we just didn't mix. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like, you know, Judge was getting ready to go out for like, uh, you know, for bringing it down. And I was like, man, I was like telling this older dude who from the town I lived in who, uh, you know, he's the one who got me into punk rock, gave me my first records and stuff. So I was, I was talking with him one night and I was like, God, I'm really not stoked about going out because I got to go do all this shit and I feel like I'm by myself all the time. And he's like, you got to get somebody who will fucking, you know, get rough with you if, if when times get rough. Yeah, yeah, you got to bring a hammer. I was hammer. like, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I was like, so who is that? Who is that guy? And he's like, well, my friend Todd is back from the Marines and he's got nothing to do. And I was like, fucking Todd Schwartz, the surfer kid. Like, he's cool now. He's like a skateboarder and shit. So uh, we asked Todd, and he was like, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, that was it, man. We became best friends after that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Um, Like, I remember, like, all this shit happened on that tour. Basically tore the band apart by the end. By the time we got on our way home and down in Florida, the band was... I was like convinced I was like quitting this band. It was just like, you know, fucking all these bad things happened like one after another on the way to Florida. And uh, actually like Texas show got canceled because hammer skins were going to show up. The promoters didn't want to deal with it. So we fucking blue pie Texas. We get pulled over in Tennessee by these fucking crazy racist fucking cops spit chewing tobacco on me and shit. Called me call me like a New York queer and shit, New York faggot. And, you know, what are you doing down here? All this fucking crazy shit. And I'm just like, my, my head is still spinning from everything. Get down to Florida. All these fucking other white power fucking skinheads fucking show up. All this fucking shit. I have no fucking clue if I'm going to fucking even make it out of this fucking scene. Finally get through that night. All the all the kids from the local scene are in fanzines and shit, spreading word that Judge pushed out and shit. Like, basically, it was two guys against like a hundred. How, how how could I have pushed out? You know, like what more could I have done? Yeah. But anyway, that's that. So I was like, I was like, I'm fed up with all this shit. I don't want nothing to do with any of these motherfuckers. And so I go, I just tell Priscilla, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, go, I'm not doing this band anymore. I'm out of it. You know, drop me off at home and don't fucking call me. And that's basically what I did. I fucking got home and I, I just fucking, I was depressed and shit because I lost my band. I was like, you know, fucking sitting in my room and shit. All this fucked up. I'm just all fucked up. And uh, I don't know, maybe like a week later, I fucking I'm sitting and I hear a fucking motorcycle coming down the driveway because we had this long dirt road. Look out, it's fucking Todd. He's on like a he went and got a fucking, like, uh, what was it? Fat Boy. I think it was a 1990 Fat Boy. You know, he's like, he's all stoked. And he's like, hey, 
It's the, that's, the first, that's the first year Fat Boy too. That it was, was yeah, yeah. Was it the, the gray first one? year as a Fat Boy. The gray, the gray one. one. Yeah, with the yellow stripes. Those are worth the yellow money. stripes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he shows up on that, and he's like, he's like, I didn't know how to get in touch with you, so I just dropped by. Let's go for a ride. And uh, so that's what we did. We went out and just started fucking riding, and uh, you know, like we rode like every fucking day. And uh, I just got my head straight like that, you know, just riding around, fucking wind up going down to Florida. We just, just, we spent like, that was like uh, sometime during the summer and we spent the rest of that summer like uh, just riding motorcycles and fucking just not thinking about much. It was great. What what were you riding at that time? Same bike I still have. It was, uh, it was an 89 Softail. But it was all like chopped up. It was all like the, the frame was welded, you know, welded to to a hard tail. It was raked. It was a sick ride. It was totally. It was, it was just a badass fucking ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so you, uh, you know, riding a rigid soft tail down to Florida uh, from from the from the Northeast, you know, is is an adventure in itself. Um, oh yeah. Uh, we tried. We had this crazy idea that we would fucking hit up uh, Daytona Bike Week. So we left here. I think it was like February or something. It's fucking freezing up here. Yeah. And uh, I think my bike made it down to one of those first south of the border truck stops. Yeah. And the fucking it just gave out like the fucking. Um, I had this like crazy ignition put in, so it didn't have a rev limiter, but it had like. I think it was a crane ignition or something like, yep. and whoever, whoever like bolted it up, didn't bolt the timing cup or something. So the bolt backed out and we had no idea. So the timing, it just like just died and just wouldn't start. And, uh, once again, fucking Todd, he's like, he comes out of the thing. He's like, you know, I'm on the phone with like the guy who helped build it. And we're just trying to troubleshoot. And I'm running back and forth into the parking lot, taking part. Can't figure it out. And then Todd comes out, he goes, don't worry, I, I got a guy who's going to take the bike down to Florida for us. And then the guy who built the bike was like, I'm leaving now, I'll be down, I'll, I'll be down in like three days. It was just like this crazy thing, like, <laughs> and it fucking worked out, so. Yeah, man, yeah. So that's the bike you still got to this day? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yep. Um, offline, if you got a picture, dude, you got to send me a picture of that. Um but uh but I yeah. Will. Well, so the, so i mean and that that goes into a lot of overlap like we were talking about with the show here like i found motorcycles like in the it was probably a little bit later than you it was uh like late later uh late 90s and uh i mean to me it was it was i don't know like a natural progression i've said it a lot um in interviews and whatnot but to me you know motorcycles were the next thing like like from hardcore, that was like loud, fast, and dangerous, and do it yourself. There was a lot, it, but it was different, you know, because you're, it's, it, it was like a different outlet, but like hit the same notes, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. The same, it struck the same chords, and uh, but you know, it wasn't being in a band or going to a show. It was getting on a bike and going somewhere, and just you know, also just add the freedom element to that, you know. Uh, but. Uh, but yeah, you know, and also, you know, in the, the custom bike world that had the DIY ethic too, you know, like a lot of going to swap meets and trading parts with people and, you know, 
pre-internet where you you had to kind of be more at events to get shit and find shit out and whatnot it, it was like the same yeah. thing the, you know i've been i've been to many many spot meets brother yeah oh yeah 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 i fucking love that shit yeah man for sure um but i've been into i've been into motorcycles forever like even when i was a little kid of course like i had like my first bike was like a honda 50 and then like i graduated to a honda z50 i don't even remember what the differences were but the thing was like where I lived, there wasn't like any really any kids around. It's like all woods and shit, woods and cornfields back then. And uh, you know, I just fucking thing it did for me is like Wild World Sports. I seen Evil Knievel one day, yeah. one Sunday, and I was like, holy shit, I want to do that. And that's what I did. You know, I was fucking setting up lamps and fucking breaking bones and shit, just trying to be like him. I just fucking fell in love with motorcycles. And then, uh, then the turning point for like, you know, really wanting to like, you know, ride Harleys and shit is like just being on the highway one day, we're going on route 80, this big highway and shit with my father. And we passed this fucking HA. He's on this like little fucking chopped out bike. And I was like, it just looked, I mean, it was the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, I want to be that when I grow up, you know? That's all I wanted to do. I was like, what is that? And my father was like, the Harley Davidson. Because my father had this, my father had a Harley, right? But it was like one of those, it was the AMF years. Yep. So it was like, it was this big fucking glide. It had this big, it was a purple, was it purple? Purple or maroon? Candy apple, purple, maroon, whatever. And and then the fairing, the front, the front fairing was fucking white with all like black and beige stripes. It had a three million lights on it. Had this big chrome eight track tape player on the handlebars and shit. And that was that it was, was just like, shit too, right? Back then, that was like yeah, the, the it was just shit. like the fucking <laughs> yeah. And then like just like all those AMS, like once the wiring went, like no one could figure it out ever again. Yeah. So my older brother wound up just taking all that shit off. Like every, every, anything that didn't make the bike go was taken off. And once that bike was stripped down, I was like, holy shit, that is like, that's the coolest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. And that, after that, I was like, that's what I want. I just want that. I, I think it's fucking, fucking rad. And, and, and it's something I've noticed in, um, like a lot of people that I know that are into bikes or like, especially, from like the backgrounds like we're from or like the age range we're from everyone has a recollection like it's the same shit man like i remember being a kid driving driving around with my father through we grew up i grew up in a city called new bedford and it's about 40 minutes south of boston um but it was like a gritty fucking shitty mill city where it was like it used to be a whaling city and all the mills were closed down so it was kind of like a depressed city you know um but i remember driving by one day and it was like a group of you know there was an mc rode by when they were still riding like clapped out choppers and fucking crazy shit and i remember looking at those guys being fuck that's that's you know that's what i gotta do you know what i mean like it, it yeah. just, it's something you see that shit and it resonates with you and then you know in, you know then later in life when i started getting into bikes that's what i had as an idea in my head for what for what i wanted to ride i was like i just remember like my first bike was like a suzuki savage because it was like all i could afford right it was like you know 400 yeah, bucks, yeah. 400 bucks or something and i was like all right let me let me pick up this thing and fucking ride it around for a little bit and i just remember like no like 
and I didn't know how to explain it because, you know, I hadn't seen any, like, choppers for, for since then, since I was a kid. And I was like, no, like, the tank needs to be higher up. Like, I need the tank, like, almost like under, look, looking like it's under my chin. You know, I was I was thinking of a stretched out and raked out bike, yeah. you know. And I was like, I can't find yeah. that. And then I was like, and then my, you know, and then we were like, oh, shit, no, that's all custom shit. And then that's then my next bike was a 64 Triumph. But that was all, you know, 12 inch over Springer and all that shit and raked out and fucking death trap and doing yeah. I was living in Boston at that time and trying to keep up on the highway on a 650 not being a small dude with with a springer that's bouncing around doing 85 and you know car right behind me and a car right in front of me like no room for error you know that type white knuckling <laughs> it to get home every night you know but um no neither here nor there but I think that's a cool thing man like and it, and it shows the power of like some of that like what that type of like imagery can imprint on a kid when you see that like you know what i mean and 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 i hope there's kids that seeing us like dudes like us out on the bikes now and being like oh fuck that's that's fucking badass i want to do that when i'm older because that was cool shit and and uh something else you you, you hit on too which i think is kind of important because you you said you know when you were younger there was a there was an older dude that kind of got you into punk rock and showed you records and music and stuff like seems like a lot of the people i talk to that that's how they find their way into to these scenes like like, you know, like a dude or someone's older brother or something starts, like, introducing you to bands and giving you records and stuff. And I remember there was an old skinhead kid by me, uh, this dude Steve, and he was showing me all the raddest shit. Like, you know, like, I remember he gave me a Skins, Brains, and Guts 7-inch. And, oh, you got to listen nice. to this. And you got you introduced me to, like, Negative Approach and shit like that. And I was like, oh, fuck, dude, this shit's fucking rad. And, um like is that like how did you find your way even into before we even get into the bike stuff how did you find your way into like the hardcore scene because you started talking about that a little while ago well basically it's because i you know i was a fucking screwed up kid yeah you know like when i you know i basically grew up by myself because you know my mom died when i was i was like fucking i don't remember like nine ten years old whatever and uh my father just was working guy. He liked to work, and then he liked to go out at night and fucking drink beer. And then, so he was never around. So I was just left up to my own shit. And basically, like once it came time to go to school and shit, I wasn't ready for that because I I didn't know how to like mix in with fucking kids or have a conversation. Just wasn't good at at, at that. So I was like really extremely introverted and shit. So but and then it was all right for the first you know whatever six years you go to school but once I got into like middle school and high school a guy like me became a target because you know I just didn't have friends and I wasn't I was quiet and, you know I was just I was like you know I was a fuck up you know and, yeah. and people fucking put a target on me for that and uh, I noticed that there were only a couple other kids who were getting treated like that and it seemed to me that they were being treated like that because of the way they looked, not because of the way they acted. And uh, these were like this handful of like punk rock kids. I didn't know what punk rock was. And uh, I wound up getting put into a homeroom with one of them. And he, and he was the one who talked to me. He introduced me to this other dude named Howard, who was like older than us. Uh, I think he might, have, he might have been a senior at the time. I don't remember. But that dude was like, let me give you a ride home. And uh, we stopped at his house and he's like, here, listen to this. And he was like, showing me all these records. And 
you know, he wound up letting me fucking borrow, I think, this old Dead Boys record and shit. Basically, every day I would just like, it was like, in my mind, I was like, if I can, if I get into this, then these kids who don't like me, you know, I convinced myself that they didn't like me because I was into punk rock now. Mm. It was easier on my fucking psyche to believe that than to actually believe the truth that they didn't like me because I'm weird. You know, they didn't like me because I'm socially maladjusted. I didn't even know what socially maladjusted meant until I got into high school and they're like, you know, guidance counselors like, you know, you're fucked up. We're going to take you out of normal classes. We're going to put you up in this special class and we don't want you around the rest of the kids. You know, Mm. I was like, all right, I get it. Fucking school sucks. I can't wait to get out of here anyway. Yeah, yeah. But by then, I was already into punk rock, and these guys were like taking me to New York to see shows and shit. And I, once I once I went to my first like actual hardcore show, I think it was like Kraut somebody. And uh, also, you know, we wound up to be like a couple towns away from the Misfits. Yeah. And so we we're hearing stories about them all the time and shit, and they were like so fucking weird looking, but they didn't give a fuck. And uh, I was just like, I don't give a fuck about anything except, you know, coming to New York City, seeing these shows and hanging out with these people. Like, these are my people. And, uh, and then that was it. Like, once I seen my first CDs matinee, like, like CDs had matinees on Saturdays back then, my first one was Agnostic Front with, with the old singer John Watson. Yep. I went to that show, and I was like... This is a wrap. I'm going to be here every weekend. I don't care what the, the school can fucking torment me for all week long, but on the weekends I'm here. Yep. And that was it. Yeah, it was, that was like how it was for us. With like, we'd go to the to the like to the old rat or in Boston or, or um, uh, Babyhead or it was called the Rocket at the time in Providence. Like you know, back then you know. It would be weird, man, because it, what was cool for us is that the the rat would have a a, a a, uh, a matinee one day and then the Providence show would happen the next day, you know, like bands could play, you know, half hour away from each other. Like they, they could do a, a show, you know, a half hour away. And, uh, you know, today you, they didn't have to pick markets as much, you know what I mean? Cause like people just yeah. went out to shows more. So you could go to the Providence show one day and the Boston show the next day or vice versa, see the same show, you know, um, different openers or whatever, you know, but, um, but yeah, man, it, it 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 was right. That was it was like a solace, even though it was like probably one of the sketchiest kind of like dangerous environments. It was it was a solace from regular life, being able to yeah. have that place. It was like like you know, it was like, um, and uh, you know, and, and back then too, uh, you know, I know especially with CBs and stuff back then, it was probably it was like an adventure just getting to the show half the time. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I, you know, I would go in by myself. I. I, you know, I learned how to take the bus and shit. So I'd be like 14 years old. I'd be on the bus, fucking, you know, 25 minute ride from where I was, get off the Port Authority. Yep. And I would just fucking walk around 42nd Street just having a fucking ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I, dude, I, like, no lie, like in my town, it was like a fucking, just like a fucking redneck fucking town. And I mean, I'd get the shit kicked out of me two, three times a fucking week just walking down the road. So, like, it was no big deal fucking going to New York. Like, what was going to happen? I'd get beat up again. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Like, the thought of, like, something worse happening to me never crossed my mind. I didn't care. Yep. 
you know, like, so what? The, the reward was when I get down to, to the fucking show, you know, and then I, I, I wanted to be there at all costs. It just didn't matter to me. Yeah, man, absolutely. I remember me and my friend uh, Pat took the bus to New York when we were 16 to go see um, Nihilistics and Sheer Terror at CB's. And just we slept mm-hmm. in, slept in the Port Authority. Took turns like staying up, ca- kind of catch standing guard because you know it was it was more wild style back then, just in, in general, yeah. you know. So you, you kind of had to, but uh, but yeah, um, yeah, man. And and I feel like, uh, you know, motorcycling is the same, man. It's like an escape from like regular life, regular society, and it, you know, it's like even though you're doing some shit that's dangerous. It, it's what feels good and it's like solitude and, and, and solace, you know, riding. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, we, we were talking about records being worth money, man. I bet you wish you kept a couple more Chung Kings. <laughs> yeah. That well, I, just, I don't, I, I just never understood it. Like when I remember they're like fucking, you went for six grand on that discogs and shit. And I'm like, why are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Fuck dude. But you know, that's like, um, what, what was kind of like the story with that? Like what, what happened there? Well, we wanted to do after the seven inch, we wanted to record, you know, our first 12 inch. We had these songs and shit. And at the time, um, you know, a lot of, you know, like, there's a lot of sh- like DC boys and shit were out of, that, out of that place. I think Leeway recorded there. All this shit happened there. And uh, we just like, I think Danzig was there or something. I don't know. I never paid attention to that kind of shit. It was all, I never set up that kind of stuff, but they're like, we're going to record a Chunk Kings House and Metal. And uh, basically, we got like the worst. I think he, he might have even been an apprentice fucking engineer. And we could only record, We could, the only time we could afford was like two in the morning or some shit. Yeah, yeah. And we couldn't afford like multiple days. So like basically when I got there, I had to do like all the songs, all one, you know, yeah. all one after another, like my voice was blowing out, but I still had to keep going. Yeah. The fucking engineer was like a fucking cokehead or a crackhead or something because he was like looking for he spilt his shit and he was like looking for rocks and the rug and shit it was just oh, it was just an awful fucking deal yeah yeah and uh but still you know like i did my part and i go back to jersey and then uh you said today winds up going to europe on tour and then um i remember al brown calls me up and he's like yeah i got the i got a copy of the fucking chunk king record come listen I go into Brooklyn and listen to it and it's just fucking it just sounds like fucking shit it was just awful like drums sounded like Sammy's hidden cardboard boxes and shit it was just just the worst fucking thing and uh, I was fucking heartbroken and when I finally fucking talked to Purcell I'm like this record sucks dude it absolutely 100% sucks and uh, you know that's when Jordan stepped in and it was like, you know, I got some money I can give you to re-record. Purcell put in the rest of the money to re-record the record where the Cromax did their shit, where Leeway did their shit in uh, Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. Down, it, dude, that's five minutes from my tattoo shop. Uh, Normandy. Yeah, that Norman, place is, Norman that place is sick. 
Tom Sores was fucking great. Yeah, fucking sick great. of it all. Uh, yeah, every like a lot of people recorded records there. Yeah, so and then I guess like to offset the cost of the money that you know Jordan from Revelation already put up, he uh, he pressed up like however many of these Chung Kang records, and uh, I don't know, man. It's just yeah. the mind the mindset of a record collector. Absolutely. I've never been one, so I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, same thing, man. Like, well, I'm not going to lie. I was a collector, not because I was trying to actively collect. It was just I loved the music, and I just wanted to have it, you know? And if there was yeah. no there was no Spotify back then. Like, you you had to have the record, or someone had to dub it for you or something. That was that was the only way to have it. Um, but, um, yeah, like, you know, something I miss about that time was kind of like – I don't know how to explain it, but like, it was it was like being, like you had to seek it out, and yeah, and and I felt like we had more appreciation for shit because you had to really be there and seek it out. It wasn't like shit just wasn't as available, and so it felt special. You you track down a record or something that you've always wanted or always wanted to hear but could never heard or whatever, and it just I don't know. I felt like we there was more appreciation for shit back then because it was it was harder to get. So like you had to put in more effort for it, I guess. I don't know what the word is, but, um, yeah, I hear you. Cause I never, I was never a record collector, Yeah, but I do have this one fucking story where I lucked out with records was, um, it was like a weekday morning and I, you know, I was leaving my, my girlfriend at the time lived on Mulberry street, uh, you know, corner Mulberry and, uh, bleaker. So I was leaving there and I was walking. I was going to go down, down like Avenue Way and shit, Thompson Square. So I was walking down St. Mark's and it was like, must have been like 10, 11 in the morning. And right in front of me is a guy who's carrying a box. And uh, he had like this jacket on, I forget what, but I knew he was like into punk rock and shit from what was written on his jacket and shit. So uh, he, he goes up the stairs to this record store called Sounds and he goes inside. So I follow him in. And I started looking at the records next to him and he's at the counter and he's like, I want to sell these records and shit. And, uh, I can hear him like say he's, and he's, and he just lists off like, you know, uh, all the fucking misfit seven inches, like Halloween and fucking, uh, who killed Marilyn and fucking, you know, beware and three hits from hell yeah, yeah. And, and bullet and shit. And I'm just like, I was like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> and uh, he fucking, and sure enough, he fucking sells them and he splits. And so I just walk up to the fucking counter and just go up to the guy. I'm like, how much are these records? And he's just like, I don't know. They just got here. And he's like, I don't know. Just, he's just like, give me seven bucks. Ooh, I was like, okay, I'll take them all. I'll take them all. <laughs> yeah. All right, let me see if I got it. Hold on. I was just like, and then I fucking walk out of the store. I'm like, holy shit. I just got, I just got all the misfit seven inches for like fucking, you know, under 10 bucks. I'm like, this is, wait till I tell this fucking story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, I, and that's another one. That's Some of those records are like a couple grand now. It's fucking bananas. Especially like like Night of the Living Dead and stuff because it, it didn't get repressed as much and so it's it's a little rarer. Just some of the, like... Yeah. I got a cough cool who, who uh, if I ever get rid of it, 
it's, it's, it's a, I have to give it to Roger because he, he's, he's, he's been on me for, for, for a couple of years, but I'm like, I don't really want to get rid of it, but I don't know. You know what? The older I get, I don't have, I have attachment to the music, but I don't care about the physical things as much anymore. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to be that dude that sells shit. Like I, I'd rather just give it to people that I'm friends with that would appreciate shit. Like, Roger's definitely a guy who would appreciate that shit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's a, I can't believe I have something that he actually wants. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, oh, shit, really? dude. I'm like that dude's the the, the, the most uh, meticulous collector of shit. So um, it's it's probably because he only has like two of them. He needs like four. You know what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Anyway, man. Fucking. Um, so you know, I I get like the times were way different back then. Like touring isn't like it is now, and you know there was a lot more horror on the roads and the country was different. Times were different, like different regions of the country were different. So I get, you know, I can see there's a lot of frustration. So at one point you just said, you know, what, what was the point where you just said, fuck it. And and I think you might've even started talking about that a little bit where you just said, fuck it, I'm out of here. And then, um, it sounds like you did that. And then literally a couple weeks later, motorcycles came into your life. Um, like what, what was that kind of transition like? And cause you know, out for us when we were kids, like, you know, the rumor, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, was like, oh, man, Mike Judge left the band and he, he joined a, a motorcycle gang and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then no one seen you, no one saw you around or heard from you for a long time. So, like, like what happened when you ducked out, like, of, of, of hardcore? Because, you know, up to that point, it was a big part of your life. What was it like to kind of, like, duck out of that? And not, I'm not saying you ducked out, but you just kind of, you kind of left and uh, got into other shit, like, kind of talking yeah, about I, that, that transition. I definitely ducked out, bro. I was like, yeah. I was just like, I, I don't know. I just was like so frustrated. I was like, I felt like I couldn't do enough, and just that everything was just, it was just a big mind fuck for me. And then you know, like my buddy Todd comes up with a motorcycle, we start riding, and I start, you know, I'm starting to get my fucking my head together, just being out on a motorcycle. And then, um, the one thing that I fucking miss the most about being in a band, even though it was fucking so hard, but the thing I missed the most was, you know, being in a van with my friends and just fucking, you know, back then, you know, back then there's no, no, there's no computers, there's no cell phones, there's no nothing. So, you get into the van and you got like six, seven of your friends with you. And then you leave your home and you're going state to state or whatnot, city to city. And after a while, you're just like, everybody in this van is my brother, is my family. We're all we got, you know, there's, there's nobody here, but us. And that fucking, that kind of fucking bond that forms in that situation. That's why, I mean, that's why those guys who I traveled with back then are still my brothers today. Sure. Because I, I, you know, you just, I love them. They were like always there day in, day out. You know, like they're my true friends. And, uh, I missed that. And I started fucking longing for that kind of fucking, 
connection. Like, yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there was like this uh, local bar that we all hung out at, played pool at, and I met these guys and uh, who rode motorcycles and shit, and we were talking motorcycles, and then, you know, they invited me to come out to the Bronx and hang out, and uh, so I go out there and meet, meet some other guys, and uh, basically that's it, like, why I wind up joining club yeah and because uh, I was looking for that same type of fucking it's all of us against the world and that's what it was for a long time for a while it was like that until it wasn't like that <laughs> yeah yeah in that world when when things go sideways and politics fuck up everything you know you're just all you know you're all for one and you're all for one and then somebody does something and then you're all of a sudden, like, now you're not all for one. And then some of us were like, what happened? I thought we're all in this together. Why mm. Why are we, like, alienating this guy? It, it just, every, it just, it went crazy fast. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I don't know how much you know about that kind of lifestyle, but it's hard to, it's a lot easier getting in than getting out. Yeah. So it takes a while, and you got to be smart about it and shit. But, uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's basically what happened. It's uh, just like, I missed that fucking, fucking community, the friendship, you know, that fucking, it's us against the world type of feeling. And so that's where I went looking for it. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And, 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 and I don't know, like, it's crazy to me that, you know, it's not crazy to me, but it's 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 awesome to me that like hardcore and shit like that is still around. It's been been around like 40, 40 something years now and um still here and that there's still a lot of people involved in it that were there from the start or there from early on. And to me that's just kind of like proof of concept of like of like that there's like people that were into this like or got into this like, you know, it, it, it really means something to a lot of people. Like, obviously there's been changes, plenty of changes of the guard and people leaving and coming and blah, 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 and new kids and, 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 and you need that stuff like to keep it going and th things. But um, it was, especially back in those days, man, like it wasn't cool. So like, it was like us against the world. Like, and um, that's one of the reasons why I never really, this is the, to look at it simply, one of the reasons why I never got involved in like motorcycle clubs is because like, because like I don't want to put on a patch and then other guys in riding motorcycles are my enemy now. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah, and, and you know I'm not I'm not I'm like I'm like very much simplifying it, but like in those terms, like other dudes on bikes, like really I got no problem with. I got problems with society. You know what I mean? Like the bigger, yeah. the bigger thing. Like you know what I mean? Like I'm like, and I, you know. I get it, you know, and I got a lot of respect for clubs and, 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 and guys that ride in clubs and, you know, I, I'm around a lot of it, you know, but I, I stay independent because, one, I got a bike shop and, two, like, I don't want to have other people on bikes as my enemies unless they do something personally to me, you know what I mean? And uh, and I'm not saying that it's all about being enemies, you know, whatever, with club stuff, like, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, you know, you it's part of it, you know, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, I remember like, because in my in the town I grew up in, there was like a motorcycle club. Yeah, and they were they were around in the seventies, 
and uh, they were called the BBMC, right? And then as time goes on, the 80s, they changed their name to Steel Wheels. And they're an AMA club. And they're all my friends. I grew up with them. You know, yeah. I, we grew up together in the same town. And we all know each other. And uh, basically, they're like, hey, you want to, why don't you come join? Why don't you come join us? And to me and Todd both, they're like, come join us. And uh, I already had my eyes set on something else going on in the Bronx. Sure, sure. So I was yeah. like, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And then Todd was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it, maybe. So he starts hanging around and shit. And we go down South Jersey just to on a ride. And uh, it was like me and then Todd and his girlfriend at the time. And we go down to this, this uh, outdoor bar in South Jersey to see a band. And uh, it was like no big band, just like a, a, a local band just playing cover songs. We we're just, it was just a nice day going for a ride. And uh, so, the, you know, this, these guys from my town in this club, they fucking go down there too and shit. So we're hanging out. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, everything was fucking cool until this other fucking club shows up who happens to be a fucking one percenter club. And they're like talking and shit. And I could see them talking. I don't know what they're talking about, but I can see them talking. And I'm not feeling anyway at at this point until the fucking dude comes over to me and he's like hey mike uh no disrespect but uh, you guys gotta you guys gotta get out of here you can't hang out with us i mean what do you mean he's like ah you know we're an ama club we don't want any trouble this or anything i was like but we grew up together you know like in my mind i'm like we grew up together we're friends we're fucking hang out every fucking day basically after work like yeah i'm like how does like in your head how does that work out tomorrow when when you see me tomorrow what how do you how do you picture it go yeah knowing yeah. that you're hanging me and my friend out the drive you're like i was just like fucking this whole fucking world this whole fucking world is fucking crazy yeah yeah yeah. And uh, basically, I was like, "All right, I mean, to, to, to fucking if you're if you need me to fucking split to save your own fucking ass, then I'll do it." You know, nothing fucking happened. Yeah, yeah. They're just that they, the other club was just basically laughing at the fucking AMA club because they're just like, "What a pussy!" You know? Yeah, yeah. Do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. It's like I would, you know, that's a bad. That's a you know. It's crazy, man, when some dudes put that shit above, like, lifelong friendships. You know what I mean? Like, come, yeah. on, come on, man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I was like, dude, I was, like, trying to tell them, like, dude, they're not going to do anything. This whole fucking place is surrounded by state cops. Yeah. Nobody's going to do anything here. We're all just listening to music. Like, yeah, but they told us. Oh, they told you? Yeah. Did they tell you, did they tell you what to do? Yeah. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a weird world of politics in that, and sometimes you know. But um, yeah. but yeah, dude. Like, fucking um, what was it like? I was at the bowl um when you guys did your first show in a long time, and uh, you know, I know you like you said you kind of ducked out. And what was it like coming back? And like, did you did you know like what Judge had spiraled into? Like, you know, like how big, like 
how big the band had gotten over the years. Like, you know, like, because that was, those bowls, that those two New York shows were fucking nuts. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I kind of, I, I don't know if I had like an idea really. Like yeah. I knew like just from reading shit on Facebook and shit, like people kind of dug us from all over the place, but I didn't know like in numbers what that would mean. Yeah. And then, um, I remember fucking, I remember, I don't remember how or why I did the radio show in the first place, the black and blue radio show. Yeah. But I thought basically I was just brought on to talk about like the old New York scene or something because I'm just like, I'm just like in that spot. Like I'm not like first wave, like maybe Roger and Vinny and I'm not like, whatever third wave, like you said today, I'm yeah. like in the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I got to see like those, I started fucking hanging out like 81, yeah. 81, 82. So I got to see all those first wave bands and then I got to see it all pretty much. So I, I kind of got like a different perspective, I guess. Sure. And I thought that's what I was there to talk about. And, uh, there was a lot of judge talk at the time, but, uh, I didn't think it was going to amount to anything really like, like it wound up doing. Basically it went down like this. Like I had this friend who's like, he was like one of Todd's best friends also. Like the three of us, we kind of like hung, hung out together and uh, he, he lived in town with me. And even though I wasn't coming into the city or going to shows, he was, he was, and he would like, we'd like hang out and play video games and shit. And he'd tell me like what bands he's seen, who's doing what, this, that, and the other thing. And then, um, so one day he calls me and he's like, dude, you gotta do me a favor. He's like, uh, sick of it all is playing urban Plaza and it's sold out. And I really need to go to the show. You got to call somebody and see if you could get me in. And then I was like, who the fuck am I going to call? You know, I haven't talked to any of these guys since I stepped out of that band. And it's been like 30 years, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I haven't talked to anybody. Like, who am I going to call? And he's like, just please try. I need to see the show. And so I'm going through, like, something I had, phone numbers in it. And uh, I wound up seeing fucking a number for Anthony Civarelli. Sid. Yeah. I'm like, what are the chances of this still being his number? Like, I don't even remember where I got this from. So I call it, and it is him. I'm like, hey, is this Sid? He's like, yeah. I go, hey, my name's Mike. I was a Frankfurt judge. We're actually good, pretty good friends. And he's like, get the fuck out. Are you serious? And so we talked and shit. And I was like, listen, I know it's been a while, but you know, I need a favor. Can you get uh, can you get a friend of mine that's sick of it all? And so Anthony's like, Sid is like, um, yeah, I'll get I'll get him into uh, Sigma Hall if you come see us at this year's Black and Blue because the biscuits were headlining. Yeah, yeah, no, I was uh, yeah, so, that, that was a good one too. So I was like, I was like, yeah, it was like the year before two thousand uh, yeah two thousand twelve, I guess. And uh, he's like, I'll get him into the show, but you got to come see us at Black and Blue. 
uh, actually didn't, didn't, and, uh, didn't Siv called you out at that show, right? Like he was like like yeah, uh, yeah I remember that. Yeah, I was like because I was gonna I, yeah, was, but, I was gonna introduce t- myself and talk to you because I, I had talked to you once years ago, like when Judge was still active. But I was like, I was like, you were looking a little like mm, <laughs> you were looking a little yeah. uncomfortable, you know. It was like, I was, it was beyond me. Cause I remember like I, I had already done the radio show. Yeah. So I kind of like, I saw, so I knew, I knew cousin shit and I knew Busty yeah. Lawrence and uh, Damien and shit. So I knew those guys. And then um, I just didn't know how big it would be. Yeah. Like, I just didn't, I, I, I had no idea. So yeah, um, the last time you saw Gorilla Biscuits was probably at the Anthrax or some shit, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had no fucking clue. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I get there, and um, I'm just told, I'm like, holy fuck! I mean, so many fucking people, yeah. and fucking Cuz gets me right away, gets me and my wife, and he, you know, he takes us upstairs. He's got a table table set, and like, no, so because my head is spinning, yeah. like. I've just never, I'm not good in crowds as it is. And I'm just like, holy shit, just like totally out of my fucking element and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the night's going on, I'm seeing people I haven't seen God knows how long and shit. I even seen Purcell that night after not seeing him in like fucking, you know, 30 years. And, um, you know, the, right before the biscuits go on, Sid like calls me aside and he's like, he's like, listen, we're going to do New York crew tonight. I want you to come out and sing it with me and I was like are you fucking crazy you see how many people are out there <laughs> yeah, yeah. The going out there man and he's like are you sure I'm like yeah I'm fucking pretty fucking positive man there's a lot of people yeah and uh he's like alright what yeah. and so he goes and then he does this like this uh you know he, he dedicates a song and whatnot says some shit about when we met and how we went out he was like help. he was like our drum tech it was more like bloody hanging out. There wasn't a like drum tech or shit. We were just like friends going out on tour. And, uh, I don't know. It was like pretty fucking, it was like, it was like kind of like emotional, I guess. Sure. But basically I was like, I was like, look at all these people. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't believe this is still happening. And like, I can't believe this is Gorilla Biscuits right now. These are like, these are like the homies. And, I can't believe it. And then they played New York crew and like this whole fucking crowd is like singing and shit. And like everywhere I look, people are singing. I'm just like, Holy. and then at that point I was like, man, I wish that was me. You know, like I wish I would. And then I was like, kind of in my in the back of my mind. just like, I wonder if judge could do this again. Mm. And then, so like we go home and shit and I'm just constantly thinking about it. And then, I just remember fucking taking my dog for a walk and uh, I was talking to my dog. Big fucking, this big fucking Rottweiler and shit. I'm yeah. just like talking to him and he's just like looking at me with sideways and shit like, are you really talking to me right now? <laughs> and I'm just like, you think I can do it? You think? It's a little shit. And then right there and there, I, was, I, I called Cousin Joe. I was like, hey, if uh, next year's Black and Blue, you think Judge could play? And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll get in touch. <laughs> and that was it. I didn't think Judge would headline it. Yeah, it never mind. Didn't you, didn't, you didn't realize you guys would be a two-day-in-a-row headliner? <laughs> no, I didn't think we'd headline. Yeah. I remember going out there doing something for, for Cousin Joe. I think I did the radio show again for it to make the announcement. Yeah. 
that judge made my the surprise announcement that judge was going to headline. Yeah. And I was like, are you sure we should headline? Are you sure we should headline? He's like, dude, trust me. Trust us. Yeah. We know what we're doing. Yeah. I'm like, all right. So I know we do the radio show, make the announcement. Then I'm on my way home. And by the time I get home, my cousin Joe's calling me going, something happened and fucking the old number for tickets was still active. And so the show sold out. Uh, what do you think about doing the second show? Yeah. And I was like, second show? It's just like, my head was just spinning. Yeah. But crazy. What, when you when you were at the bowl the year before with the where Gorilla Biscuits played, and you said you were in there, and uh, you know you go into this place, and, and you know you're not expecting the size of of what shows of those those shows at least are like. Um, when you're seeing people you haven't seen in 30 years, like what was that like for you, man? Did did shit just come like really like flood like flooding back to you? Like like what were, that must have been like kind of like a mind fuck, right? Yeah. Totally. Like I'm seeing people. I mean, I was hanging out with Tavi too. So, yeah. you know, Tavi is like up on everything and shit. And so it's not like I was totally like blind about everything because yeah. I did have Mike and Tavi telling me shit. But just seeing people, especially like the people who I considered brothers after so long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember like the funny thing was, you know, I see everybody and then, um, I remember seeing Arthur come walking up from Gorilla Biscuits and he's like all tall and skinny and shit. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh no. In my mind, I was like, oh no, Arthur's sick. Oh. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, because he was so skinny and shit. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, it was crazy. Yeah. It was, a, it was like, out of everything I've ever done though, those, that, those, that weekend, that those two fucking black and blue balls were just like, the best time I've ever had. Yeah. Well, in a band. What was it like, man? Like hitting that stage? Like, cause you know, you said you, you had a hesitation about even doing a band where you were a vocalist. Cause like you said, you, you like to hide behind the drum kit. Like what was it like to go on that, that stage where, you know, like people were flying in from all over the country and from like Europe and shit to come to this show. Um, yeah. What did it feel like to hit that stage for the first time? Like, and especially, a show of that kind of like magnitude, you know, like the, the first night was like, the first night was like fucking like my fucking heart was pounding and shit. I was like, there's a good chance I'm fucking not going to make it. You know, like I was like freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember like going down, going downstairs to the stage. And then the band was like, you stay here. We're gonna, they're gonna play the intro music, and then you come out. And so, I was like, kind of all right. And then they split, and I was alone. I was like, fucking. Yeah. I was like, in my mind, I was like, what's the worst that could happen if I just split right now? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? And I was like, definitely fucking. Um, I was definitely feeling it, man. I, I, I'm, I, I must have been definitely showing it. Because I remember fucking blood clot comes walking downstairs. Yeah. And then he walks by me. And as he's walking by me, he looks over. He goes, no turning back now. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then it was just, I mean, at that point it was on. And then the, once the music started, I I felt better. Because uh, 
I always got off on the fucking judges' music and shit. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Once, once, once the music got me, I just my mind just went to a whole different place, and sure. you know, it's just it's easy at, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, the one part, the one part that did get me was the second night. The second night, like we just finished playing, and uh, there's like these kids from some country who I just met earlier. And I'm on the stage and I'm like talking to somebody uh, and I look beside and I see this group of kids are from whatever country, I don't remember. And they're like looking at me and then they just start fucking going, thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And everybody starts chanting, thank you, Mike. Wow. And at that point I was like, I should probably go upstairs because this is getting like, I could feel like, I could just feel like, I'm not going to cry in front of these fucking people, but this is just like way, way too much. This is way, way too much for a kid who grew up as like an introvert who was like, you know, ostracized by anyone he came in contact with. And now I got a fucking, this big room of fucking people say, you know, thanking you, chanting my name. I'm just like, what happens next? Does fucking lightning actually strike me and kill me (laughs) here? Because what else could happen? it was, it was something. It was something I'll never forget. Yeah. And my wife was like, "All like, fuck." Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a time, man. <laughs> I don't know yeah, how yeah. to put it into words, dude. And I'll always be. I'll, I will always be in debt and grateful to cousin Joe, Busty, and all those boys. Yeah, yeah. For, for that time. I mean, sure. It was just. It was once in a lifetime deal. Well, dude, I mean, the first night, as soon as that fucking intro, the first note was played, did you just see that place fucking explode? I mean, because that's before you came on and started singing. I know when you start doing your thing, you, you kind of go into another place, but what did you think of when you saw that place fucking explode? Um, I wasn't really looking out there. I was, okay. like, looking at Sammy. Okay. Because usually when I'm, like... Trying to get my shit together, I look at the drummer. Okay. And find my spot. Yeah. It was when I had to like walk out before I fucking, you know, have to sing. And I look out and then I seen like the place was like going off that I was like, okay, this is, this is going to work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so anything, uh, Anything like planned? Like, are you guys got anything uh, kind of in the works or any new stuff like, going on? I mean, we've we've written music and shit. It's just to me, there's a uh, there's like a high standard and shit. Yeah, I have words. I have words, and I'm just waiting for the right music. I, I mean, in my mind, I would love to. Yeah, but I can't just do it because somebody told me to do it. I mean, I need to do it because it's an honest representation of what judge is to me. Sure. But, but when I say that, I mean, just because I think it would be interesting to hear new stuff from you because, you know, we're, you're a lot farther along in life than, you know, being a young kid. And I'm sure there's still stuff that affects you as hard or as equally um, there's just new shit to be pissed about 
and I think you probably have some important shit or important perspective oh, yeah, to put in put on that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you think, brother? Yeah, this fucking world is driving me crazy right now. It's fucking absolute insanity every day, dude. Like, you can't even keep up with it anymore. Like, I like like if I was trying to write a record right now, I don't even know what I'd write about because shit changes, and the next day there's something fucking new. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, how, how many yeah. times? How many times can we just be fucking smashed? You know what I mean? In the face, yeah, just everything, yeah. and it's like it's like impossible to like decipher what's real and what's not and who's lying and who's not lying. Yeah. Like, like last night I just got caught up in like reading all these like articles on what's going on in Ukraine shit. Sure. And, and I'm like, it's so fucking weird. Like if you read, if you read these articles, (laughs) you'd be like, Oh, Ukraine's kicking their ass. You read these articles. Oh, Russia's kicking their ass. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's so easy to say turn off the fucking news, but like, who is telling the truth? Yeah. I mean, I don't trust anybody. No. I'm not. I'm not left. I'm not right. I don't. I think they're all fucking motherfuckers, and I don't think any of them got anybody's best interest in mind except themselves. Absolutely. So I'm there with you. So it's just like, who who do you fucking listen to? Everybody, everybody can, anybody can look up and find a source for what they want to say sure. to back up what they want to say. It's like the world is just so fucking crazy. And that's why like up here in Albany, like I got like this handful of people I'm tight with and we just, just try and get through day by day because it's fucking crazy. Absolutely. And I also work with Craig ahead. So Craig ahead's like crazy and shit. So oh yeah. yeah. Me, I love Craig. dude. You know, he, <laughs> yeah. he keeps me fucking laughing. Anytime yeah. it gets too heavy, too heavy. He fucking brings out some Bigfoot shit. Yeah. Fucking makes me laugh. Yeah. He, he was but, on, he was on this too. And, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's going to come down. I think this summer we're going to go for a ride, man. So get, you, yeah. get that bike back up and run and get it up there. You know what I mean? Fucking swing through. Yeah. He was like, He's like, yeah, because there's another guy who we work with, dude Lance, who has like a, he has one of the newer like wide glides and shit. Yeah. And so they get together and they ride, but they fucking do massive miles. I'm like, yeah. I don't know if my body could take a hardtail <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that anymore. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Sometimes, know. sometimes you need a couple bikes, man, for different things. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, I remember at the time, like, all, it's all I was like. The soft tail is fucking great, but it's just like doesn't it's not low enough. It doesn't it doesn't look like this, and it doesn't look like that. I remember like it's it's not a, it's a corny movie, but uh, do you remember that movie fucking Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man? Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Fucking yeah. Mickey Rourke's bike in that yeah, movie, the FXI. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I did. There's this fucking bike shop on the highway a couple towns away from me called Chrome and Custom Cycle like a couple guys who are angels fucking own it and shit. Yep. And I remember because I knew them for fucking years and shit. So I go in there with this fucking super fucking comfortable fucking soft tail and a fucking picture of that bike from Harley Davidson Marlboro man. Yeah. And go make it as close to this as possible. (laughs) uh, So it took like fucking a couple, it could have took like over a year to, to just making, giving them whatever money I could make and shit. Sure. And then finally it got done, but it was, and it was like as close to that bike as a soft tail could get. Yeah. And, and it was just badass. Oh, yeah, and man. I fucking, I was just like, I love this fucking thing. Yeah. But it's a, it's a rough ride, man. 
You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Rigid, rigid is is especially when if you know if you're on like a a, a solo seat with springs or something, it, it takes or like a pogo seat, it takes a little bit of the absorption. It absorbs a little of the shock. But if you're sitting on a seat right on the frame rail. Better, yeah. be, better be good at dodging potholes, man, because otherwise you're gonna need a Bro. fucking you're gonna have to have a kidney belt on and fucking a chiropractor on on speed dial. <laughs> no fucking doubt, bro. One day I'm fucking on a highway and it's like, because I got nothing on this fucking bike. I just got a headlight and a fucking small light tail light over my fucking license plate. Yep. I got nothing else. There's no other electrics, and I'm riding down the highway. And my headlight is only showing so much. By the time I seen the pothole, it was too late. Oof. When I hit it, In the air. I thought I was going over. Yeah. And then another time, because I got no rear fender, I could just got like, I have a rear fender that's cut like over the middle of the tire. Yep. And I had my fucking girlfriend on the back, and we, I just had like this suction cup pee pad. Yeah, yeah. To put it, to put on for her to ride on. So she's basically riding on the fucking fender and I hit a fucking, I hit a pothole with that. And I swear to God, I seen her over my head. <laughs> Let's see. And I could see her head like come over my head and she was holding on tight enough where she came back down. I was like, damn. <laughs> You're like, yeah, this bike oh, is a bad motherfucker. Yeah. I've had people lose passengers that way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it's fun, man. Like I said, it's fucking dangerous and fun but like the 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 and calmly like it's like zen it's like the most dangerous thing you can do that you can still like zen out doing like you know what i mean like yeah especially nowadays man with so many distracted drivers but i don't know like when i was young like i lived in the city and then like and then i lived in boston and providence and this and that and now i live in the woods and I'm fucking happy now. Like I, I wouldn't want like when I was a kid, I wouldn't want to live in the woods, but like now I do, and uh, it's good riding. You know what I mean? And my shop is, you know, if we if we hook a left, you know, we're on like roads like hugging lakes and shit, like like in two minutes. Nice. So it's beautiful riding. Yeah. It's a good place to be able to test ride customer bikes and shit like that too. Uh, was before I was test riding bikes in the city and the projects and shit. Like it was not not as fun, but um, but yeah, man, um fucking you gotta get that you gotta get that thing back up to albany and get that going man uh i mean you gotta miss riding right yeah definitely i definitely i mean that's where i would like get my my head together my thinking straight yeah absolutely i also had like a a car that i that was good for that too like i sold the car yeah once i lost my house and shit but I had like a 69 Roadrunner that, that oh. had like a, uh, you know, like a 383. So it yeah. wasn't like a big, big, big block, but um, it had no radio or nothing. Yep. And, but the sound of that motor was just like, it was enough. So like a nice highway, yeah. like nighttime, just that car on the road, fucking, the sound of that car was like fucking perfect. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a '73 Duster with a 440 jammed in there, and nice. My brother thing. had a fucking Duster. Yeah, that thing you'd be going 30, 40 miles an hour, and you'd hit it, and you'd start roostering around and shit. Like it was, yeah, it, it was fucking a menace. And you know how those old those old those old uh, you know muscle cars like the suspension all and the everything was like 
it's not like a new car, like where, you know, it's super tight handling and suspension and shit. Like it's sketchy as fuck. And that was part of the fun of it. Yeah. You know, this loud yeah. fucking, just fucking machine that you were just fucking in, you know, it was fucking rad. The Roadrunner was like a, a four speed, four speed on the floor and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And it had that big fucking, the suspension had gave it all that body roll and shit. So when you fucking hit it, just like around a turn, like you could feel the whole fucking weight of the car, like coming up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's just the shit, man. Fuck. What did you say? It was a 69? Yeah, 69 Roadrunner. God damn, dude. You, that's my, enough- brother, my brother had that same car when he was in high school and I was a little kid. Yeah. And his was like black on black interior and shit. And I was just like, I love this fucking car. His was, a, his was, like, a four, his was like a 440 with an air grabber hood and shit. Yep. And I was like, mm. I want that car. And then yeah. he wound up he wound up selling it and then he got a duster. And then he wound up like all of a sudden he wanted to act like he was like this older dude, like hanging out, you know, yeah, uh, you know, like a cokehead type of guy and shit. So he sold all his shit. He, and then he bought like this big boat Lincoln continental and shit. <laughs> oh my God. And he, at the time, he, at the time he had this duster, he also, this was like the seventies. So you got to understand he had this fucking, Yamaha chopper. Yeah. It was, it was the most dangerous fucking bike you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. Cause it, I mean, it had like this girder front end that like went for a fucking mile, yep. but the frame was never cut or anything. So the frame sat like it was going uphill. Yeah. yeah and then it had like this two level fucking seat with a big sissy bar and a bit. Yeah. And the fucking taillight was like an iron cross taillight and shit. Yep. It's crazy looking motorcycle. Every time you punched it, the fucking front end would come off the fucking ground because it was like so unbalanced. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the big geometry tail, was fucking all pipes up, and shit. Yeah, fuck yeah, man. And I was like, uh, I was like a little kid. I was like, I want that bike. I want, <laughs> I want that car. I want yeah. that bike. I want- what, what, what color was your was your Roadrunner? My Roadrunner was a really weird color, rust. It was like factory color. All right, it was so it wasn't it wasn't and then a light like- brown interior. Yeah, it wasn't one of the wacky like, like uh, lemon twist or whatever, or like fucking uh, yeah. pur- purple, the purple or whatever. Yeah, yeah, sublime line. Yeah, 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 dude. Yeah, you know what that fucking that road run is worth now, man? Right? Yeah, it's fucking, yeah. dude. It, it, I think of all the shit I got rid of for like little money because. You know, I I had muscle cars when no one gave a fuck. Like I bought a '71 Chevelle in Pennsylvania. It was a true matching number super sport. I bought it for five grand, um, and it was like 2001 because it was it was I was driving it back and it was like when New York was still in kind of like lockdown from from 9/11, and I had no plate on it and I bought it in Pennsylvania and I had to I was driving it and I was like I just had a buddy like tailgate me the whole time because I was like I got no plate on this or anything and I'm driving it back to Massachusetts. And, um, you know, I sold that car a couple years later for like nine grand, but now that car's like 30, 40 grand, dude. And it's fucking nuts. I'm like, why don't I just hold on to shit? But no, I didn't have money. Yeah. To keep, you don't have money to keep everything. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing like, right. Like the, the feeling of being on like, you know, a bike, sketchy bike or like, like a muscle car or hot rod or something like, I don't know. You have to be dialed in and connected to that machine because, Shit can easily get out of hand, and uh, I don't know. I, I fucking love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I I love the car because I get the same. 
I get the same type of feeling from the car because the motor, the sound of the motor gives me that same yep. feeling, that same sound that I get from a motorcycle. Yep. Motorcycle has always been my first love. I mean, I just fucking love Harley Davidson. I just fucking, I just love to fucking chop up motorcycles. The thing is, as, as I got older and like not as fucking such a hellraiser, I noticed like how little respect motorcycles get on the streets from like guys in cages and shit. Yep. So it's like, I'm just like, I can't believe I've, I've done all this and never been hit by somebody. Like I know. all my friends, all my friends have gone down in one way or another. Yep. From, uh, and, and not from actions of their own. Just no, by, like, yeah. Getting cut off. Guys, guys not paying attention to them. Yeah, that's an unfortunate part of it now, and especially now there's, that's why I say I like being in the woods now, because I go out on these country roads that aren't as congested, and there's less of a chance of someone being fucking texting and being distracted or whatever, you know what I mean? And uh, that shit's fucking for real, man. And I noticed even in myself, like, you know, I used, when I was younger, I was more of a hellraiser. I used to ride way more aggressive, and now I just try and keep a pocket of, like, emptiness around me, because I'm like, I don't trust anybody on the road, you know? I'm like, everyone here is trying to kill me. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Or they don't give a fuck if they kill you. E- either way, you know what I mean? Whether they're trying or not. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's fucked up. But, dude, uh, what else going on, man? I uh, I don't. I, I know it's a Sunday afternoon. I'm not trying to uh, keep you. I know you probably got shit going, but uh, anything we missed? Yeah, actually, you've been around a long time. You get to see a lot of good shit. Like, and I, I'm envious because I started getting into shit around 84, 85 and uh, my first show was Jerry's Kids and Suicidal in 85. But I was still like, nice. it, it was that summer in between like eighth grade and freshman year of high school. I was a kid, so I don't fully remember it. But you've been to a lot of shit, man. What What's like a standout show, you know, either one that you did or like attended like or, or, or performed with Judge. But like, like we all have a couple of standout shows, but like what's one of the craziest or like one of the best memories you have of like like a favorite show that you went to and, and – uh, a, sh- a show that I, the, the show that I've seen that is just like, that I remember today, like it just happened was the, um, those bad brain shows, I think in like maybe like 82 or 83, those Christmas, the Christmas Eve and Christmas day shows. Okay. I think there are three of them. Yep. The, and especially the one that SSD played because SSD was my shit. Yeah. Wait, was SSD I mean, still playing SSD stuff, or were yeah. they more on the rock shit? No, it was like total get it away. Fucking okay. kids will have their shit. It's like fucking intense. Yeah. So those, for seeing show, were those. And then the show that I played that I'm just like, this is the greatest fucking night. Not not including the black and blue shows that Judge did. Yeah. Was uh, Youth of Today at uh, Fenders in L.A., uh, playing with uh, the exploited, and we just fucking, we were fucking awesome that night. Oh yeah, I mean, we we were so like fucking. We we just wanted to blow the exploited away so bad. Sure, sure. That we were just fucking. We just went off. It was fucking incredible night. How was the crowd at that? Like, cause I I know California can be a little weird, and then especially like at that time the punk rock crowd. How how were you guys received? But we had we had a bunch of people who loved us there. Okay. Good, good. But what what was crazy is that that afternoon I wound up getting like 
I wouldn't say jumped, kind of mugged, but I didn't have anything to steal. Yeah. In a, in a, in a park across the street by this fucking LA gang, I guess, called the lads, the LA death squad. Yep. Yep. And it's funny because um, we we set up for sound check and shit, and then we we're hungry, and so they split, and uh, I was late because I was still set it, getting something off the drum set or whatnot. So I went to catch up with them, but and I remember the dude telling us specifically, "There's a pizza pizza shop like this way. Stay on the sidewalk. Don't cut through the park." So that's what we did. And then by the time I got there, they were finishing up. They split again. So I finished up and then stupidly I was like, I'm going to take a shortcut and go through the park. Yeah, yeah. And that's when they got me. And, uh, so there was that. And then, so now we play this fucking show and we're all fucking amped and shit. And after our set, you know, I remember distinctly, like we're just fucking going off and Capo is like, let's tear this motherfucker apart because we're just so fucking amped and everybody just goes fucking crazy and everybody's the whole place fucking erupting and shit and we have this great set and then afterwards we're out in the crowd you know trying to sell some fucking records and make some money and all these skinheads are like gathering around and, and they were like you know they were totally staring us down and shit and we're like fuck you know there's like a lot of them and shit yeah. and then before anything happened that same fucking that same group of that LA death squad, man, they kicked in a side door and like marched in. And when the skinheads seen them, the skinheads like fucking guarded like rats. So that whole night was like, just like, what a crazy fucking time. Fuck what yeah. a crazy fucking scene. Fuck yeah, man. Well, dude, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, anything, uh, before we wrap up, um, any, uh, Anything you want to promote or plug or anything or, uh, you know, anything to look at? No, I'm for? good, brother. I'm good, brother. I'm, uh, I'm happy we finally got to do this. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. So. Um, what I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, – I'm going to shut this off here. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on and spending some time today. Fucking great. Uh, I'm going to shut this off, but I'm not going to hang up, so just hold up one second.